Welcome, everyone, and thank you very much for listening. We're here on another episode of Talking Cloud. And as you know, this is where we talk about cloud, all things cloud, cloud security, cloud compliance, the challenges of managing and maintaining your workloads in the cloud, some of the risks, some of the great benefits, no limits, all things cloud. That's what we're talking about today. And I am really excited. I think you also know I'm no expert, but I know how to find experts. It's one of the benefits of being in this biz for a while. And boy, do I have a great one today. You know, one of the wonderful things I like to do on this program is bring experts that are really, truly passionate practitioners about security and in particular cloud security. And man, have I got that guy today. In fact, I met this guest when I had the pleasure of sitting on a panel and he was actually one of the members in the audience. And I loved his response when we were asking questions near the end. I approached him. We had a wonderful conversation and I invited him to be my guest. This is someone, ladies and gentlemen, Sean has filled virtually every single role within the chain of command and now sits in the chief information security officer role within his company, Atmosera. This guy really knows his stuff. He's passionate about security, and I'm thrilled to have him here today. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Grant. I really appreciate the, the opportunity to talk about cloud and security and, and what that means for, for not only our company, but as well as your company and other companies out there. You know, one of my passions is really teaching and educating the general public around security in the cloud and what is the cloud and what does that mean when you start to move to the cloud and, and how do you implement it in a, in a way that is secure and efficient for your business? Yep. These are big issues, right? They sound kind of uh, normal and just standard operating procedure. But I think as soon as you inject the cloud into the equation, the complexity increases quite a bit. And it seems the mystery also enters because a lot of people really don't understand the cloud. Um, what I want to do real quickly, I'd like, Sean, for you to maybe uh, take a few minutes, talk about your storied career and what you do now, and, and take a minute, if you wouldn't mind, please, and, and tell the audience a little bit about your company. Yeah. So I started my career about 30 years ago with a high-tech startup company uh, named Verifone. I actually started within IT running on a Vax VMS system. Eventually growing out of that role, got into some programming, some systems administration, and have continued to expand my knowledge within the information technology space. About 20 years ago, I really started focusing from the network engineering standpoint on firewalls and really was about protecting our assets at the company I was working with at the time. We used to bring in a bunch of people to train and, and they would just get on our corporate network. And I really wanted that sense of isolation. And that's kind of what started me down the security and risk management 
uh, role that I've spent the last 20 years really enjoying. And as I've continued to develop in that space, the opportunities that I've worked with with companies and with my current company has helped me expand the ability to, to educate, help people understand the different security tools out there, how they apply to the different environments. So my current company, it's a company called Atmosera. We're a managed services provider with hybrid cloud. So what that means is we run data centers, we go co-location, we do some private cloud, but our big focus is on public cloud. And so we help organizations optimize, run, and manage their cloud resources in the public cloud. And a huge aspect of that is, is security. And that's my role is to help advise people on how do you implement security within the cloud? How does that look for your business? How do you use it to, to not only protect your assets, but help optimize your resource load and optimize your business functions while using security as, as a basis. There's a lot of companies out there that see security as a business disabler. Um, I'm a big proponent that any good security should actually enable your business, allow it to grow uh, in a secure and, and holistic manner. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Sean. I think that's one of the things that really we have to remember Despite all of the nefarious activity and the dangerous things that are certainly lurking, it is security that enables us to do extraordinary things, right? To, to access information from anywhere in the world, to share confidential information securely. I mean, there are some really exciting things that we are able to do because of security, had it not been uh, present, we wouldn't be able to. So so I, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm a big positive mental attitude guy. And I think this is a classic example of, I mean, when you think about parenting, hey, don't spill the juice as opposed to Sean, keep the juice in the cup. They're both the same. One certainly is more positive than the other. Absolutely. And, and if you think about the evolution of security, and where we're at today, I mean, security is what enables us to have our corporate data or even personal data on our mobile phones, on our laptops, being able to access it from a Starbucks or in an airport. Without security, none of us would be comfortable with that. It really is security that has enabled the mobile workforce that's out there now. And it's it's a combination of both access as well as ensuring that the data is secure and your identity is secure. And really, when we start talking about cloud security, it, it changes the conversation. The old days, all your data lived on premise. It lived within a secure environment. You had to be on site to, to access it. And you could put protections around the data. As it started to expand, your, your concepts start to change of, I'm no longer protecting the data. Now, there are certain protections that you have to have in place in that, in that space. But it really is, how do I protect the identity of the person that's accessing that data? How do I know that it's Grant that is accessing his files on the cloud at large, whether it be the internet, whether it's a personal drive. And so security has really enabled this growth of access and this explosion of collaboration tools because of the fact that we can now present data anywhere in a secure and confidential fashion. Yeah, I agree. But it seems perplexing to me that security is so key, but we sure still hear all the time about the failures and I suspect that's one of the areas you're focused on. I mean, I go back to the Gartner site, uh, statistic, right? At least 95% are going to be your fault uh, in terms of public cloud failures. Talk 
a little bit about why that is the case and what maybe you recommend for your clients to do to, to keep them in that 5%. Yeah. So one of the misconceptions I think that I I hear from other businesses is this concept of the cloud as a solution. And it is a solution, but it is really a tool, right? It's a tool to drive different economies, a different development efforts. And as any tool, there are certain safety measures that are different, right? I, I think of it similar to a circular saw and a screwdriver. There's different security measures. There's different safety measures that you put around them. Tools can do the same thing, but you really want to understand how to develop a security posture when you move things to a public cloud. And the tooling, there's some that's the same, there's some that's different, but really understanding what security measures are there and what is your responsibility around those security measures. So you can't just put things in the cloud and say it's the cloud provider. They handle all the security because there's a lot of configuration. There's a lot of things within that that are still your responsibility in terms of setting it up, in terms of understanding it, in terms of monitoring, managing. And really what I recommend to clients, especially in the small to medium-sized market, is hire someone to help you. You are not going to be the expert on cloud. And cloud is always changing, right? I mean, it changes from day to day, from week to week much more fluid than any compute environment we've been using in the last 30, 40, or really forever, right? I mean, this is just a, it's a new world. Absolutely. It's this whole agile development. It's a new function, it gets released. So keeping up on that is very difficult unless you've got people who are dedicated to Well, I want to pull on that a little bit. And on one hand, the access, right? Is that really Grant accessing his or her data? You know, in the broader context, one of the key aspects about the cloud in terms of security and how it's different is the perimeter used to be around that that fixed data center and now the perimeter is around the function or the container or 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 the actual uh, uh individual asset and it seems like that's uh, the trend but are people really employing it that way and i guess i'd like to hear your opinion on this notion that you know the perimeter is dead, long live the perimeter, meaning the big one's gone, but now we're, we're locking down each and every little thing. Yeah, and it, that truly is the, the, the crux of where people misconstrue security, right? A lot of people come out of this traditional model of you secure the perimeter. The cloud doesn't have a perimeter. You have to secure your data, right? Wherever that data lives, that data could live on the servers up in Azure, they can live on a local file share, they can live on your phone. Nowadays, you're getting it down to IoT devices, right? I have data that technically lives on my robotic vacuum. So it changes the concept of, I can't just protect the outside. It's, I'm having to think about how to protect every piece of data and where it goes. And in addition to protecting that data, you ha- start having to think about how do I know who's accessing? How do I know to, how I can redact that data? How do I know that when I sell my, my robotic vacuum that some piece of my information is, is not moving on with that? So it's a fundamental thinking shift around security. And it's one of the areas that I think people who have grown up in the traditional IT stack have a, a difficulty grasping. Mm-hmm. It has changed. It's no longer, hey, I've got firewalls. I'm good. How do I know that my contact list on my phone can be removed as a, as an organization if I'm let go? Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I had this conversation last week 
it's more than that, right? Because when you start to think about security and threat hunting, let's say, forensics, you're out looking for some nefarious activity within your environment. We used to be able to, with high degree of confidence, key off of something called an IP address. <laughs> so you immediately laugh. Explain why that's folly in the cloud. Because there's no such thing. IP addresses used to be similar to telephone numbers. You used to have an IP and it tied to a device, right? Once you start talking cloud, you're accessing your resources and data from anywhere. IPs are no longer fixed to a to a device or a person or even a location. Um, you know, as, if you're in a Starbucks, it's going to show you coming in from Starbucks. And that Starbucks, depending on if it's a local ISP or if they go through national, it could show up coming out of a completely different state than you're in. Yeah, not, so, and, and the other way around, right? What if what if you're using some advanced functions in the cloud like Lambda and all of a sudden your SIM sees five, six IP addresses to a function that uh, occurred over 15 or 30 seconds? There's no context. What what really happened? If you think in the traditional way, it just goes out the window. Absolutely. So one of the things that we used to key on is the speed of travel. Here's an interesting concept. You can log in now on a plane. A plane is traveling at 600 miles an hour. Your IP is hopping mm. literally every few minutes. How do you track that? Right? You can no longer use the IP or even the fixed location as, as a delimiter. It, it really has to change to you're protecting the data or you're protecting the identity. Yep. And, and it's, it seems when all of us human beings, we learn everything, right? We spent decades learning this north-south ingress-egress gateway architecture, IP addresses, firewalls, perimeter, and things are different now. Absolutely. It's that fundamental thinking change that I think requires experts, not that anyone can't become one, but to, to be able to continuously think about how do you protect the data how do you ensure identity? That's a fundamental change. You aren't going to have the time or the resources to necessarily retool yourself. That You have to rethink your tooling, right? And the tooling is in your mind. Your mind is a tool. And you've got to rethink, how do you change that concept of, I'm sitting in front of a physical server to, my data could live anywhere, and I have to manage that. Right. And I have to manage who has access to that. It, it's a change, and unless you're devoted to that, it's, it's a difficult leap to make, right. especially if you're still running things on-prem, right? Then you're, you're shifting between, oh, I can just protect the perimeter to I have to protect the data. And I think we have to think cloud first. And I hate that term, but from a fundamental thought process, if mm -hmm. you think cloud first where we're protecting identities and the data, that can apply to an on-prem solution. Right. Absolutely. And it's fundamentally a shift in how you think of everything, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud. Absolutely. And you're going to gain more value. That granularity, though, I think historically it's been easier, hasn't it, Sean? You know, you've got the AD bucket that's IT team and kada boom, and what do they have access to? IT and there you're done, right? And then you just kind of manage the team within. Now it creates a higher degree of operational granularity when you're managing those individual components, doesn't it? Absolutely. It, it's, it's the natural extension of role-based access control, 
right? In the past, we looked at things from a macro scale. As we move into cloud, as we're looking at individual pieces of data, individual identities, it takes that role-based access to the infinite degree. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a careful line between how far is too far, right? Do I do role-based access to every single piece of data? And then we can start talking about, well, classifications and how do we lump things so that we can manage it in an effective and efficient way? Because the other structure to security is if you go too far, if you become too granular, it becomes unmanageable. Right. And that's a huge risk, right? Because whatever is unmanageable means you don't have visibility into it and mistakes will be made. And so you have to strike that balance between the granularity and the manageability in order to provide that that proper security posture. And a lot of times that's where experts can come into play, where they have the experience of implementing these or they've seen what's worked for a company or size or a company in your industry. And so you can strike that balance between granularity and manageability so that you have a solid security practice without you know going so far that you're overwhelming yourself with the management of it. Yep. There's no such thing as 100% secure, right? right. It, it's it's a risk. And that's Always. why I play a lot in the risk space. Sure, sure. So so let's, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the fine grain requirements and how we need to think about data first and access and identity far more than perimeters and physical firewalls. But let's talk a little bit about one of the things I hear often so I'm really excited and interested in hearing your comments on, and that's automating, creating processes using tools that actually start to auto-remediate, to automate the security practices. I want to know, in your opinion, realistic? Can I implement it? And to what degree? What are the issues? Because it seems like there's some really cool auto remediation capabilities, but I just don't know how many people are really diving in. So automation is an interesting one. When automation is implemented very well, it can actually improve efficiencies. The problem is when you start talking automation, you're actually starting to talk about business processes, not just security processes, right? So, hey, I see an event, I automatically lock out that account. Well, guess what? If it's my CEO flying on a plane, and happens to hit a satellite that's going to a ground station in Guam, and suddenly it triggers because I have automation that says, hey, you're out of the country, or you know, you're traveling faster than you should, I'm starting to cripple the organization. So I think when you start to talk automation, the two pieces that you have to think about is, what is the full flow of that business process? What is the impact of that automation? Because at this point, there's no judgment calls involved. Mm-hmm. There's no someone going, oh, I happen to know that my CEO is on a plane. And I happen to know that he's traveling to Europe. So therefore, he's hitting these particular stations, right? Automation is, I see this, I do this. Right. And so... It's pretty black really, and white, right? I, oh, mean, it's, abs- I mean, that's absolutely. that's the whole point of it, right? It is it is so black and white. There's no uh, dimmer switch, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So automation, fantastic tool. I think everything needs to go that way, especially as, as attackers get more sophisticated. They're using automation to attack. We have to use automation to defend. Yeah. And there's two pieces to that, right? Understanding the workflow and then also educating your organization on the potential to it. So, hey, my boss really, really wants us to lock accounts out. Great. Here's the potential impact so that you're not the bad guy, right? You have full buy-in on what's happening. I'm locking out our CFO because he accessed a particular file share from a public Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and I, they, I'll tell you, uh, 
one of the key monarchs, if you will, the key uh, pillars for Checkpoint anyway, is our uh, very strong belief that it's about uh, we need to uh, defend, protect first and above all. Uh, detect is 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 great, but until we can uh, outspeed, if we're faster than a microprocessor, then maybe detection's acceptable, <laughs> right? But but uh, uh, there, my point is, when you focus heavily on protect, there is consequently. Uh, occasional operational impacts Absolutely. Be- because you put that as a higher priority. And so, I, I you know, there are other vendors in the world, uh, you know, they're more all about detecting, but we believe it's too late if the focus is on detection. It really has to be protection. But really more to the point of this conversation is you have to measure the operational impact of every security decision. Absolutely. And roll slow with automation. Right? Don't implement every automated tool that you have. Turn things on. If you've got an alert mode, turn it on. See what the impact's going to be. That way you can have actual conversations about the risk involved with your business leaders. And getting buy-in from your management team, from your employees. Hey, here's the risk. Here's what we want to do. Here's what may happen. So that everyone's on board and it becomes a security culture. Yep. Not just security guys are shutting me off anymore. Yeah, we're all singing from the same page of the hymnal, as they say. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So take a second, if you if you don't mind, Sean, give me a give me a demographic profile of of your customers today. Are you seeing the growth in the the big enterprise? Who needs your help the most? That's an interesting question. So traditionally, what we have seen is the small to medium businesses, those that don't have IT resources or dedicated IT resources, right? They might be an office manager that happens to know some IT stuff that really wants some help. Um, We see those. We see a lot of IVRs, new companies that are starting up that are completely, they don't have invested infrastructure. So the cloud makes sense for them. We can spin things up, spin things down. And we don't want to be secure. We don't want to be server people. Yep. We don't want to be security people. We want to be developers. Yeah. Well, and we, you know, that reminds me of something we were talking about earlier that I think we being somewhat myopic in this business when we're in the business, right? We forget that our customers that are wanting to exploit this exciting and uh, agile, fluid, elastic environment, they sell insurance, or make cars or pour concrete, right? I mean, their business isn't what we do. And I think that occasionally we have, well, not occasionally, we have to more often pinch ourselves and remind ourselves to look at it from the other side of the table. Absolutely. And it's interesting working for a managed services provider because I see across the breadth, right? I see everywhere from high-tech software developers to manufacturers. And from the cloud perspective, it crosses every boundary. Mm. In fact, we've got Fortune 50 companies. The specific reason they come to us, cloud is agile, right? It's fast. It's scalable. Uh, Large companies, these these Fortune 50s are not. And they're finding that they can't operate at the speed of cloud, even though the cloud can offer them that. And so they come to a company like us experts who can just 
optimize and and let them really utilize the abilities of the cloud in order to to develop and, and produce yeah um, and so we get this these small organizations within these large companies are like hey we just want to utilize the cloud to build and produce fast yeah all the way down to we don't want to touch infrastructure at all. Put it in the cloud, make it happen, and we call it good. Right. You know, your, your comment about the Fortune 50 that comes to you for the agility, it reminds me if you've read, I'm sure some of our listeners have, Innovator's Dilemma by Christensen is the author. It's Harvard Business Press. Fabulous read for anybody in the tech industry, because what it talks about is that exact problem. He cites examples, I think one where he talks about some 70 hard drive manufacturers came and went in a span of about 20 or 30 years. And, and he described it, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, where, you know, an engineering, couple engineers working for this five inch platter hard drive company comes up with this really cool new three and a half inch drive, right? And it's got half the capacity, half the seek time, but it's cool. Look, <laughs> and on the other side of the fence of the sales guys saying, man, our customers want, want bigger DASD. They want more storage. If we could only give them 200 megabytes with a seek time of 200 milliseconds, we'd sell a ton. Well, the decision in a big company is let's make bigger ones faster, mm -hmm. not innovate in those small little ones. And what happens? All of a sudden, PCs uh, take over the mini and mainframe market. And now nobody wants five and a quarter or eight inch platter drives. They want three and a half. And then that that is repeated over and over and over, all the way down to the first iPod that had yep. a little hard drive in it. And I thought it was really interesting, but uh, you know that's the innovator's dilemma that that is challenging the biggest companies when they just can't keep pace because they've got all this other security stuff they're dragging along. Exactly, and so micro compartmentalization of your business functions, right? I mean, ultimately at the Fortune 50s, that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Is they're taking a specific business function, very specific product line, and saying we want to put this in the cloud. Yep. We aren't going to touch the rest of our environment. Sounds like a container. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, it's it, it's, it's containerization of a business process, yeah, right? That's amazing. So uh, your customers then really span from the biggest to the big who want to innovate and allow you to help them get there to who you and I, I know, spoke about before. I often think it's the SME, SMB market that that has really got to be the toughest when it comes to security and, and, and computing because they just, you know, they're not in that business and keeping the team abreast and doing the job. I mean, it's really difficult. Do you help a lot of those customers? We do. And in fact, from, from, I know this is cloud talking, but even from just a, from a security perspective, whether it's on-prem, whether it's endpoint cloud, whatever it happens to be, security changes right now so incredibly fast. An SMB can't keep up with it, right? Even if you've got dedicated IT professionals, you know cloud really well, security changes so fast that it's really hard for those smaller companies to have dedicated security resources. In addition, there is such a need for security professionals. I think we're in a negative 2% unemployment rate in security professionals that those small business people can't find them or can't afford them. 
And so really reaching out to experts that can help you, not as an, a permanent employee, but as a consultant, as a partner. Yeah, um, accelerant, a, right? Exactly. I mean, it's an accelerant. I, I, I see it like, you know, I come to you, I've got a bunch of wood I want to start on fire, and it's a little bit wet. You're gasoline, <laughs> right? I mean, you're going to help me get that fire blazing hot enough to cook it out and, and really get it burnt. I mean, that's how I look at it. You know, you talk about the unemployment deficit we have. I heard this statistic someone told me when I was up in Montreal, one of my partners, that they did the analysis and said that we were at, it it was 0.2% unemployment. And when you're at 4%, you're considered fully employed. So we Mm -hmm. are in a deficit. But here was the scary news, that our colleges are producing about 60,000 qualified security engineers every year and the marketplace is requiring or demanding near 90,000. So we're really in a deficit there. Absolutely. And I know that NIST has a a working group that's trying to, to figure out how to overcome that, right? And I truly believe that for most companies, going to a managed service provider is going to be the most cost-effective and efficient way for them to do that. And the reason being for that is it really allows you to leverage knowledge without having to find the person or, in a lot of cases now, pay for them, right? Because when you're in this kind of unemployment situation, security professionals command the highest dollar. Right. I've heard of people who just jump ship 20,000, 30,000, just flat out offered more. Wow. As a small business, you're not going to be able to afford that or keep up, but you can hire professionals or partners so that they're not dedicated to you. You're paying a lot less. And you also know that they're not going to just jump. Right. Timeshare experts. I, I hate that term, but it's the most appropriate way to describe it. Yeah, no, I know we talked about that, and I don't mean it in any negative connotation. In fact, it really makes a lot of sense when you look at what's happening. I mean, technology is seeping into everyone's businesses every day more and more and more. The whole process of you know, the website, of the marketing, leveraging the social tools, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is outside of the discussion we're having about moving workloads to the cloud and whatnot. I mean, how many different security vendors are there now, Sean? I mean, three, four, five thousand. I mean, it's crazy. So the complexity is just off the hook. Absolutely. And what's making it worse in the current day is the different legislations and regulations that are coming down the pipe, right? They're all having security components. Yep. In the past, a lot of the the laws were best practice or very high level. They're getting very specific in what you have to do. All of that's driven around data privacy now. And they're mandating security controls in some of these laws that businesses aren't necessarily ready for or know how to implement. And and so as we see in the US, we're going to have 50 sets of different privacy laws that a company has to adhere to. And how do you manage that as a small business? It's going to become another managed service offering or people are going to have tools like we offer that are offering continuous compliance, combing those public cloud environments, making sure your workloads are in compliance. I don't think anyone with rare exception is going to have the people, the knowledge, the time, the capability to really be able to ensure, especially as they start spreading across multiple clouds, right? I've got some in AWS, and now I've got redundancy over here in Google. 
it becomes difficult. Yeah, and then it, you expand that when you become large enough where you're global. Right now, you not only have 50 states, but you have 110 countries with multiple legislations, potentially in, in different provinces or districts. Yeah. And I, I'm still not convinced. You know, I had a, another podcast guest that probably by the time this one gets published will have already been published. Evan Kerstel, you know, the guy's got like a quarter or almost a half a million followers, really an influencer in the social world. But he and I were talking and he suggested that over the course of the next two, three years, we're actually going to see kind of a renaissance in the world of data, data governance, data sovereignty, uh, data compliance requirements. You know, when you look at things like GDPR in Europe and GDPR-like legislation out of California, you know, it's almost like there's going to be kind of a pendulum swing back the other way, and surely it'll change again. But I think it's going to be interesting because all the while, the legislators that are passing this, do they really understand it like you? Absolutely. And that's always been the catch is technology and, and privacy rights accelerate much faster than our legislature can educate themselves, right? So they're looking at experts like us to help them. Um, I can only hope that the U.S. as a whole comes up similar to GDPR with, with one framework that we can all follow from a data privacy standpoint. Right. Because companies trying to follow 50 with different breach notifications, different notification schedules, who to notify, the formatting of how you notify, yeah. um, all of that plays into how complex your environment becomes. And this is these are table stakes, right? These aren't, hey, I don't have to play. Yeah. You have to. These are laws. And so – as they get more and more complex, especially when they're starting to include security requirements, that's when it becomes much more difficult. And, and to your point, a continuous compliance program, something that's always monitoring, right? We talk about automation, and that's where that really plays in the data privacy is being able to pull in all of these different requirements and understand that you are actually complying with the law. Right. Okay. So here, I'm, I don't want you to give away any secret sauce, but I'm going to ask you for all of our listeners that are on the edge of their seat and they're now listening to a chief information security officer of this very cloud centric company. And you're going to say, these are the three things you absolutely should do first before you run headlong into the cloud. But before you answer... <laughs> I got to pay the bills, so hang on one second. How well are you protected in the cloud? How fast do you move when the cloud moves at the speed of DevOps? And do you have the confidence you see everything you need to see, good or bad? Checkpoint Software. Cloud with confidence. See it. Control it. Secure it. Hey, we're back. The lights are still on, so we're good to go. Sean. What are those three things that you're going to tell our audience? The very first one is education and security culture. Security is not a function of a security or an IT department. It is a function of the business. What do you mean and by that when you say security culture? Explain that. It, it's the thought process that security is first in mind amongst and above everything else. When you think of a new business process, what is the security around that? What is the risk? What kind of data are we gathering, right? It, it's the, the foremost thought of data is important to us. How do we protect it in whatever we do? Okay. So Too security often, culture. Yep. Honestly, find experts. 
find yep. someone that that knows the the technologies you're implementing that understand your environment that understand your industry or the laws or compliance frameworks around that find someone to help you even if you're the largest company outside advice in my opinion is always useful so right? a little side question here okay Sean how do I I'm a I'm a company big small but I need help and I reach out to you or someone else What's the yardstick I can use to assess whether they know what they're doing or not? Because I think that's also an area of confusion. Yeah, and, and there are some things you can look for, third-party certifications for them. I'm personally very big on customer referrals. I love talking to other customers to find out how did they work for them. Because really when it comes to security, especially in a partnership, it's about how they perform. Not It's not a tool. It's a partnership. How well yeah. do I trust them? Yeah. Can I hand over my crown jewels and be, I'm totally okay, yeah. right? It, and so- Trust is key, isn't it? Trust absolutely. is key. Trust, is, trust how, is absolutely the most, I mean, it's key. And the best way to build that or to, to understand it is to talk to other people who use them, right? Yeah, I this think that's good. This whole concept, this word of mouth, I mean, you see apps now coming up, right? There's a neighborhood app that my parents use all the time. Because it's word of mouth. It's pe other people in the area that have used the same company. Yep. Um, and, and then the, the third piece that I recommend is for people within organizations to continuously educate themselves on what does cloud mean? Because it is constantly evolving. And that doesn't mean you have to be an expert, but understanding what cloud is really would help. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a solution. It's not an end-all be-all, right? It's just another tool. It's great for some things, not so good for others. Yep. There's protections around it you have to build, some not. Understanding, hey, this is my responsibility, or this is responsibility that I can hand off to the cloud provider, or I'll hand it off to my experts. Yep. And we talked about this. I know, you know, I was advocating the free CBT or near free computer-based training that's available from Amazon or from Microsoft or from Google or from NIST or from SANS or from ISACA and the list goes on. And I think that that's really something as we're all, as I've said before, busier than a three-headed cat at a bird show. You know, we got lots of stuff we want to try to get done. I think we do all need to remember to pull the reins, get your people yep. at least up to speed and I think your recommendations, if I can recite them again, build a security culture within your organization. Make sure you've got experts, whether you've got them or you seek them out or you build them or create them. Get experts on the environment. And then the third one is continuous learning, continuous education. Uh, stay abreast of what's going on in the space. Absolutely. Brilliant. Nailed them all. You know, this was really enlightening and for me a great time. I learn every time I do these podcasts because I get to get experts like you. I've said many times, you know, I'm just the Gilligan. I get these professors. So it's it's terrific talking with you, Sean. A real pleasure to meet you. And I appreciate your willingness to come on the program. Uh, thanks so very, very much. Thanks, Grant. I really appreciate the opportunity and the chance to talk to you. Yeah, we'll do it again, I'm sure. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. It's a wrap. We got another episode of Talking Cloud in the Books. I really appreciate you listening and tuning in and sharing with your friends. We got lots more to come. I hope you have a great day, and we'll hear you again on Talking Cloud. Yeah.